Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We're glad you're with us this morning. I'm so glad the rain went by and everybody made it here safely. So that's something to praise uh, God for, right? Today we're continuing our series on God's faithfulness. We're working through the uh, book of Malachi. And I know this has been a challenging series, uh, but it has been one that uh, has been fun for us just to be able to engage uh, God's Word in this way. Uh, Pastor Tim Beavis is our guest teaching pastor, and so he and I are for the next couple of weeks going to be continuing to teach through Malachi. Uh, pastor Matt's taking our youth ministry on a missions trip at the beginning of July, and so uh, we'll be gone for that, so Tim will be teaching through that. And uh, when we get back, I'm working on a new series on 1 Corinthians on unity. So Matt and uh, Tim and I are working through that right now, and I am just excited about what God is doing uh, in and through our body of Christ as we head into the summer. I know we are in store for some great things, and we are glad that you're here um, to be a part of that. Today we're going to be looking at Malachi uh, chapter 2, and I realize that Malachi is a challenging book. I know I feel the challenge as we've gone through it, and I know you do um, as well. We live in a culture that does not embrace a biblical worldview, and as Christ followers, we're called to be different than our culture as God draws us to himself, conforms us to the likeness of his son. And that creates some tension. It can be a challenge. I know that I feel that. I know you do too. Whenever I think of the word challenge, don't ask me why, but a salmon always pops into my head. Have you ever watched a salmon swim upstream? It looks like this. I mean, look at these guys. They are working really hard to get upstream to spawn, right? And, and every time I think about the Christian life, this is kind of what pops into my head, <laughs> I, I, it's strange, but that's just the image that I get. And, and what that is, is it's, it's, it's millions of gallons of our culture pushing against us as we focus on who we are in Christ and try to live the life that Christ has called us to live. And in some ways, it's just like swimming upstream. We are called to be different than our culture, and it is a challenge. But praise God that we don't have to do it alone. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Hebrews says that we're to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We're not called to swim upstream by ourselves. We are a part of the body of Christ. As a result, we can encourage one another to live the life out that God has called us to live. We also know that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you ask Christ to come into your life, the Holy Spirit lives in you, dwells in you. That same power that spoke creation into existence is in you as a believer and enables you to live out and strive towards living this Christian life. And so we have been called to be something different. The Christian life can be difficult if we try to do it alone, but we are not called to do life alone. This passage that we're going to be looking at today in Malachi chapter 2, it's a challenging passage. It's going to challenge us, but it's God's Word. And we need to know that God's Word is perfect, His standard is perfect, and so His grace is also sufficient. Forgiveness is also sufficient. And so we're going to read Malachi 2 verses 10 through 16 just a moment, and then we're going to pray that God would just give us what He would have for us today as we look through these passages Um, together. But if you brought your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to the book of Malachi chapter 2. Just go to the center, start going to the right. It's a short book. If you hit Matthew, you went too far back up. But Malachi chapter 2. 
And if you use uh, the YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can go to uh, events or Springbrook. We've got an outline uh, there as well. If you've got your cell phone, just go to springbrook.org slash notes, and that will open up a link uh, for you that you can follow along, uh, take notes uh, with our time together this morning. But Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16 says this. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Then why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you ask, why doesn't he accept it? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was one God seeking but godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity we have to come together this morning to encourage one another. Um, God, just to to be together in your presence. I pray that your spirit would guide and direct our time together this morning. We live in a culture that uh, pushes against us. And so, God, we want to be set apart for you and for your glory. And so, God, um, we just lift our time up to you this morning. And we look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from our passage this morning, we're going to see three relationships that Israel was stumbling in. And there's lessons that we can learn uh, from Israel's stumbling. Those three stumbling relationships were with one another, with an unbelieving world, and with personal family. In verse 10, we see that uh, in general, they were stumbling in their relationships with one another. There was widespread dishonesty. Um, People were not keeping their promises. Uh, Trust was being broken. Covenants were being, um, you know, just, you know, destroyed. And uh, they were not being faithful to one another. In verses 11 through 12, Malachi gets more specific with relationships as he looks at marriage to non-believers. You know, when we marry non-believers, if we're a believer and we marry a non-believer, we're influenced negatively in our walk with Christ. And so that's a relationship stumbling Issue And then third, we see that um, they stumble with regard to personal family, where Malachi specifically addresses the issue of divorce. And at least one of these areas is going to apply to each of us uh, this morning. So don't break trust with your relationships with one another. Don't marry an unbeliever. Don't get divorced. Each one of those is going to apply to somebody. If you're not married, don't marry an unbeliever. If you're married, don't get divorced. In the context of who we are together, don't break trust in your relationships. And so these apply um, to each of us this morning. What we're not going to do today is look back. We're going to be looking at God's Word from the perspective of making decisions as we move forward. And so I recognize that in this fallen and broken, messed up culture, we know God is faithful. 
We know God's grace is sufficient, and God has seen us through our past and will continue to be faithful in that. So we're not going to impact any issues as they relate specifically to our past. My prayer this morning is that God would strengthen us spiritually and give us the ability to resist and overcome stumbling blocks as we think about what he has for us in the future. And the first relationship we want to look at is our relationship with one another. It's relationships with another, and he gives three reasons why our relationships with one another are important. In verse 10, he says this, Have we not one Father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? See, God's desire is that we be faithful to one another. He does not want us to be faithless. God's desire is that we not be faithless. And he gives us several reasons for that. And that word faithless is an important word because it it means to break a covenant. It means to break an agreement. It means to break a promise. It means to break a relationship, to break faith, or to deal treacherously with one another. And so it's used in all three sections of our passage this morning. Five times it's going to be used in different and these different um, relationships in these passages, and, and it's contrasting two ways that we can live together. We can live, number one, in community with one another, bound by covenants and agreements and promises. You know, relationships are ordered, and they're made peaceful, and they're guided by faithful fulfillment of our promises, by the faithful fulfillment of agreements and oaths and covenants and commitments. Those are an important part of how we faithfully enjoy relationships with one another. There's order in that, which is why membership is so important to us at Springbrook. It's not just a piece of paper. Membership is reflective of our unity together, of our commitment together to achieve our vision, our mission, and our values. That's why it's so important for us that when we talk to people about Springbrook, we make sure that they understand what we're all about. And membership is a covenant that we enter into that binds us together as we seek to be unified in what God has for us. Covenants guide all of our relationships. If you think about the relationship between a child and a parent, there's responsibilities that parents have with their kids that are covenantal in nature. And children with parents, there's covenantal relationships with a husband and a wife between a wife and a husband, with an employer or employee or employee-employer. It goes both ways. With citizenship in our state and state with the citizenship. And we all well too familiarly what happens when one of us binds or breaks one of those covenants. It creates chaos. God established relationships in community to be governed by covenants, agreements, and commitments. That's what binds us together. And that's the first way that we're called to live together. But there's an alternative to that, isn't there? The second way that we can live together in community is just the opposite. It's based on our individual preferences. It's based on what we believe to be right, not necessarily what the group believes to be right. And so we can live our life in community in covenant or outside of a covenant and based on our own individual preferences of what's right and wrong. But when that happens, when the moral fabric of that faithfulness to covenants, to promises and commitments, when that unravels, what's left is nothing but individual strands of self-gratification. 
and chaos. I mean, you do not have to look too far to think about where you see covenant relationships breaking down. Think about what's happened just in this past year with regard to marriage and family, with gender identity, with the value of unborn life. When everybody gets to do what they want to do, the community breaks down. God's called us to live in covenant community. And when there's a break from an understanding of God's covenants, the results are disastrous. And Malachi's warning to us in this passage this morning could not be more timely as we seek to live out and fulfill what God's called us to do. You know, five times he warns us not to act faithlessly in that passage. Or to put it positively, he urges us to have a covenant-making commitment as our foundation for our relationships. And the questions that he's asking in verse 10 point us to three reasons that this is important. Have we all not one father? We are bound together by one father. We are called to who we are to be together in Christ. And we have one father. And when we break with our faith, we betray our, when we betray that trust, we betray him and the body of Christ. And so we have one father that binds us together. And that's an important reason why covenant making is so important. The second one is based on the question that he asked when, when he says, do we not have one creator? God has created us with a plan and a purpose. And we need to be accountable to one creator. And if we're not accountable to one creator, and then there's multiple creators, there's multiple faiths, all of a sudden the result is chaos. And there's no unity. And when we break covenant with our creator, we violate that trust, we betray him, and his plans to a watching world. Then the third thing that we break is uh, when we profane the covenant of our fathers. When we break our covenants, when we break faith, when we are faithless, we profane the covenant of our fathers. And what is that covenant? It's through Abraham. Abraham was to be a blessing, and the hope that, that he has for us, for all of us, including you and me, is pointed to who we are in Christ. Covenants are important. They are what binds us together and help us to be able to accomplish all that God has for us to be. Covenants are important. We have one Father. God created us and His covenant with us is in Jesus Christ with the guarantee that He will help us and give us power to live out and sustain us in this life. We need to be faithful to one another, especially in the body of Christ. And so as you think about what that might look like in your life, it's a part of who we are together in this body of Christ at Springbrook. It's in terms of how you relate to one another, other believers in your neighborhood, as you think about your relationships, the dynamic is, is how can we continue to remain faithful to what God has called us to in those relationships? We need to be faithful to one another. And that was the first relationship that Israel was stumbling in. And then in verse 11 and 12, Malachi moves from general relationships to something more specific. It's a specific issue of marrying unbelievers. And that's the second relationship focus. Relationship number two is, is, is how we relate to an unbelieving world. And let's look at this verse again. Judah has been faithless. How? They were abomination. How? They have been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and he has married the daughter of a foreign God. He has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Literally, the holiness of the Lord has been profaned. If we are a Christ follower, 
The Holy Spirit is in us. And when we bind ourselves to somebody that does not have a relationship with Christ, we are profaning the holiness of God. The primary issue for us is that if we truly love God, if we have a relationship with Christ, then we are not to marry someone that doesn't. When we do, we profane God's holiness. If we claim to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind and strength, and then we willfully unite ourselves in the most intimate way possible to someone that doesn't share that belief or our faith, then we are not bringing glory to God. I can tell you this, this one, this part of the passage for me was, I think, the one that I personally had to work through the most because my wife and I have been married for 33 years. And um, when I asked her to marry me, I, I, I told her I was a Christian. There was something about her that I was attracted to, besides how good looking she was. Trust me, she was good looking. So I had to move fast and ask her to marry me before she got away. But in the process of this conversation, I shared with her that I was a Christian. I went to church. I believed in God. I didn't have a problem with the Ten Commandments. But as I look back on my life, and I look at when I first came to understand my need for a relationship with Christ, I was not a Christ follower. In fact, after I became a Christ follower and started attending seminary, right before I went into ministry, I called the pastor that married us. It had been 10 years. And I called him up and I said, hey, this is Richard. You know, you married Car- Carolyn Hatwig at the time and I. And he was like, oh, yeah. He goes, you guys still married? That was his question. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. You married me and you had doubts? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I reached over. I was, uh, I've been working on this passage this past week. And... Um, I woke up the other morning, I just leaned over and I just told Caroline, I just said, I appreciate you. Thanks for sticking with me. You know, my, my first week of our marriage was painful. I got married and it was not what I thought it was going to be. Our first year was painful. Our first three years were painful. At the end of 10 years, my wife was standing at the door with our kids and was about ready to give up. And so I can look back on my life and I can say, well, she was a believer and I was a non-believer. We got married and it worked out for us. I would not wish that pain on anybody. And so part of the difficulty that I have sharing my story is is I don't want to share that story from a positive perspective to say, well, it worked for me, it'll work for you. Because most likely it will not. When you marry somebody and you are not in agreement on your faith, it works against you. Because there are days when you wake up and you think, I don't know that I love that person anymore. And something clicks and says, you know, that's not right. When you wake up and you're in the middle of an argument, it starts to, you know, things start to ratchet up. You think something's got to stop you outside of yourself to say, hey, you need to check your own self. And apart from who you are in Christ, that doesn't happen. And there's chaos. If we are not bound together in unity on who we are in faith, the result is, is that you have two people that are trying to live their lives on their own and it's not going to work out. And so when Malachi is writing to the believers, he says, look, this is a problem. You have profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loved, and you have married the daughter of a foreign God. We are called to reach people that don't have a relationship with Christ. This ministry exists to reach people that don't have a relationship with Christ. But when it comes to marriage, do not unequally yoke yourself. It will end in chaos. This is not saying that if you're married to an unbeliever, you should get out either. You know, I just praise God that Carolyn was patient with me, that she prayed for me, that God worked out our relationship. You know, in 1 Peter 3.1, it says that if you're married to a non-believer, 
that they will be one to Christ just based on your conduct. And so if you're married to somebody that doesn't share your faith, which is most likely the case given the size of this audience, we know that 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 is going to happen. Pray for your spouse because the Spirit of God is what will work in and through them and draw them to a relationship with yourself. This is not an opportunity to get out. In fact, in the New Testament, there were believers that were trying to claim they could get out because their, their spouse wasn't a believer. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. In 1 Corinthians seven twelve, he says, no, do not divorce your spouse. Pray for them. Let your life be a testimony to them. But if you are not married today, or if you're thinking about marriage, I want to encourage you today, don't marry a non-believer. It will not work out. And that leads us to the third relationship focus, which is where we have personal family issues where we've got divorce that permeates, you know, our culture. I used to ask how many of you know somebody that has been affected by divorce? And everybody's hands would go up. Sometimes a person's hand wouldn't go up. I could ask the question now, how many of you don't know anybody that has been affected by divorce? I don't think anybody would be able to identify with that. You know, divorce in our culture is rampant. And what we've done from a cultural perspective is we've created such a fear around marriage that the next generation doesn't even want to get married. And so now people are just choosing to live together because they want to try it out before they get married because they don't want to end up like. And so divorce is running rampant in our culture. It is so easy to get a divorce today. We make it too easy to get a divorce. And that's a relationship focus that Malachi is trying to address with these people. He said, you're stumbling in your relationships with one another. You know, um, with this unbelieving world, you know, there's, there's relationships that we stumble with. Un, the one another, the unbelieving world, and then personal family. And the reason I say personal family is because divorce is not just an issue between a, a husband and a wife or between, a spouse, between the spouses. It affects the family. It affects the kids. It affects your extended family. You know, my dad and I have been uh, processing through, you know, his divorce. My dad uh, divorced my mom several years ago. Um, he got remarried, and, um, you know, there's, they've been working through issues in their own life. And I'm thinking, I told Dad, I said, man, we need to write a book, <laughs> seriously. Because, you know, if, if the perspective is, is, hey, I've done this, I would, you know, don't do it again. You know, if you're sitting there and you're thinking divorce is an option for you, I, I just can't encourage you enough to stop and not make a decision about that. Because it, the pain of someone that goes through a relationship break affects everybody. My dad had seen a counselor, and the counselor told him, how old are your kids? He said, oh, your kids will get over it. And he went ahead and he went through it. And I tell you, it hurts. It hurt me. It hurt my sister. It hurt my mom. Our entire extended family, divorce is painful for everybody. And when a couple's going through the process, they're looking at just themselves, and they're thinking, well, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, and we can manage this. And, and, and that's not the case. You can't manage other people. Divorce is painful. And it's why Malachi encourages and, and, and calls the Israelites out on this. In verse 13, he said, in verse 14, he said this, he said, why are your sacrifices and your offerings not being heard? You're asking, why is he not accepting these? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is a companion and your wife by covenant. So he's People are wanting to know, well, how come God's not hearing me? How come he's not honoring my sacrifices? It's because you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. See, marriage is a, is a, is a covenant. 
And there are two elements in our passages this morning that clarify what kind of covenant this is. It's not just a covenant between two people. It's a covenant, number one, where God is present and a witness to a promise. He's not just a passive observer. God is present. He sees it. He confirms it. He gives his blessing on it, and he records it. Is it a covenant before God that involves God? I, Richard, take you, Carolyn, to be my wife. I promise, I covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband as long as we both like each other. That's not what we say. It's as long as we both shall live. It's a covenant relationship where God is present, he sees it, he blesses it, he records it. And that's the first element of that covenant. The second element is is that God is present in it. And look what it says in verse 15. Did he not make them one? God's presence was there, but then he mysteriously binds them together so they're no longer two people, but they're one person. Which is why scripture says what what God has joined together, let no man separate. They've been bound together. They're no longer two different individuals, but now there are one. Some weddings, they blow out the two candles and they light the one. It's a reflective of two becoming one. Not only did God make them one, but it also says with a portion of the Spirit in their union. This is not just a covenant relationship between two people. God is not just present. A portion of his Spirit is involved in that union. God's presence is in our marriage. God's presence is in me as I ask Christ into my life. God's presence is in my wife because she's asked Christ into her life. The Spirit of God guides us and directs us. But when we were joined together in marriage, there was a portion of the Spirit that enters into that union. God is present in our marriage. You have three people in a marriage. Most people think it's just between two and you throw in some kids. God's Spirit is present in our marriage. And so a part of our covenant involves God's presence in our relationship. It is an important part of what that covenant relationship looks like. Not only is God participating, he bestows his spirit in our union. His presence becomes a part of our marriage and it's a part of our marriage covenant. Is it no wonder that God is grieved when somebody divorces? God never wants a divorce. That is not something that God would say, it's okay, just go ahead and do that. The Pharisees challenged Jesus on that and say, well, how come God gave Moses the, the, the decree that we could divorce? And I love Jesus' response. Because of the hardness of your hearts. That's why divorce is allowed. It's because of the hardness of our hearts. God doesn't like it. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't want it. It doesn't bring him glory. But because of the hardness of our hearts, God has allowed it. God does not like divorce. Is it no wonder that he's grieved when that happens? He hates divorce. It causes pain for him. It causes pain for the couple. It causes pain for a family. It's damaging all the way around. As you move into verse 16, there's different versions. There's different translations of how this uh, uh, could be best translated. The Hebrew parsing of the phrase can be taken uh, one of two ways. The NIV actually states that um, God hates divorce. The ESV says, for a man who does not love his wife but divorces her, um, and so both, both of those passages are looking at the fact, the fact that um, 
that there's hatred and there's divorce. And so the Hebrew phrase of this could be taken one of two ways. It's either um, uh, the man who hates and divorces or God himself who hates divorce. And so I think that uh, the ESV probably renders the best um, translation, uh, translates it this way, for the man who does not love his wife, who hates his wife and divorces her, says the Lord. The God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit. And then again, don't be faithless. It's the fifth time that is used the word faithless. Don't be faithless in your marriage. And so those relationship boundaries within the context of marriage are to be honored above all things. And God would never speak to anybody and say anything different from that. I've had so many different conversations with people where they would say, you know, I've been praying about something and and God's just showed me that I'm not supposed to be with this person. I can, I can stop him right there. I can stop him right there because that's not true. <laughs> God would never say that about your spouse. In fact, he says the exact same opposite. He said, when you guys come together with one another, I was present in that. God would never condone, condone a divorce. And so if somebody's feeling like they've married the wrong person or they've been praying and they have a sense of God leading in a, a direction other than with their spouse, that is not from God. It's from the evil one who wants to seek to destroy and to deceive. You know, God covenants marriage. It's important to him, and we need to live our faith out in that belief and that understanding. That's what God's word says. And so when it comes to our different relationships, how we have a relationship with one another is critical, you know, with regard to the body of Christ. How we have relationships with a watching world and how we relate to unbelievers, it's critical that we understand the nature of the covenants that we have with God. And especially in the context of marriage, we need to be faithful to what God has called us to in that promise that we're making to our spouse. Scripture compares our marriage, to likens that to Christ with the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ, the church, is presented to Christ as his bride. And so as the body of Christ, Springbrook, in a sense, can be likened to the body of Christ with uh, Christ in, in marriage. There's a lot of parallels between what Jesus talks about with regard to our roles and how we equate that to what we find in the church. We see that in our relationships within the context of marriage as well. When it talks about Jesus submitting himself to the Father's will. It talks about that word submission. Jesus is equally God. The Father is equally God, but Jesus submits himself to the Father's will. And so when you talk about that biblical covenant of marriage, a wife submits herself to the husband as the leader, but the husband sacrificially loves the wife as Christ loved the church. And so it's a circle there. And so if you're not feeling appreciated by your spouse, then focus on your part of the circle and then help them to be able to see the other part. And so in the context of marriage, a wife submits herself to her husband's leadership. But that husband better be leading as Christ loved the church. So those two things go together. So I've got four girls and a wife. I've got five women in my house. And trust me, we talk about this a lot. (laughs) Biblical submission, when it is healthy, is relationship building. When I make decisions or when I'm talking to things about my family and I'm thinking about that from Christ's perspective, how can my wife not help want to be a part of that? And so I feel the responsibility in the context of my relationship with my kids, with my wife, to be able to talk with them in a way that they understand 
what it is I'm thinking. So I almost have to convince them. And so if I can't convince them, then, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. I trust my wife. She's got the gift of wisdom and discernment. And so I listen to, to my wife. You know, I value her opinion over all else. I'll pray about something. I'll read about something. I might get some wise counsel. But at the end of the day, Carolyn's the one that I'm going to talk to about because her and I are joined together in our decision-making process. And so she submits herself to my leadership, and I sacrificially love her as Christ loved the church. And so just as we look at those roles in marriage, you know, Christ is the head of this church. The church is his bride. And there's a covenant relationship that Christ has with the church as well. And so we don't want him breaking that covenant. So just like that covenant needs to be remained intact, so should the covenant that we have with one another. And so should our relationship with non-believers be God-honoring. And so should the covenant with our spouse be something that is lifted up and regarded as high value. And so that's what Malachi would say to, um, that's what Malachi says to us this morning. And so that's the text guiding us and directing us and to help us to be able to make decisions that point us to what God has for us. Is it easy? <laughs> no way. That's why we're a part of the body of Christ. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We need to be in conversation in in biblical community. Five times in our passage this morning, the word faithless was used. Malachi warns us not to be faithless in our relationships. Instead, we're to be faithful. We are not to, we're to look back and we're to honor our commitments with one another. We need to be in covenant relationship with one another. We need to not marry a non-believer and we need to not divorce our wives if you're married. So there are three biblical truths that come to play for us this morning. So that's what the text is telling us to do. And so this morning you might be sitting here thinking, okay, well, I've already done this. Or this has already happened. or This is kind of where we are right now. This is where the grace of God is sufficient. And so you do not have to be a slave to your past. You know, there's decisions that we make and uh, we look back with regret. And I think that's a healthy thing for us to look back and learn from our mistakes. Because if we don't look back with regret and we're not learning from our mistakes, then we're going to make the same mistake twice. You know, I can't think of anybody in Scripture that blew it any more than David did with Bathsheba. I mean, he rejected his role as king. He sent the people out ahead of him. He wasn't honoring his covenant with his community. He sent them into battle against you know, another army. He wasn't present. And then, he, and, then, and then he looked down with Bathsheba and lusted after her, had her brought up. She got pregnant. I mean, that, that is, I look at that story, and it can't get any worse than that in my mind. And then to top it all off, he sends, he sends Bathsheba's poor husband out to get killed so he doesn't have to deal with it. And I love what happens in, the, in, in um, 1 Samuel um, when, when Nathan is confronting him uh, in chapter 12. Nathan tells David a story, and he tells him a story about somebody that was being unfaithful, and he doesn't identify David. And so after the story gets done, you know, Nathan says, you know, well, what do you think we should do with him? And David says, oh, he needs to be put to death. And I love Nathan goes, it's you. And I love what David says. He's broken, and he confesses his sin. Confession is the first step of healing. You know, as bad as that situation was, and as bad as what David did, how can God use somebody like David in Christ's lineage, based on what he had already done, because he confessed. If we confess, God is faithful and just and will forgive us. 
And so it does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been in your past. If you will acknowledge it, if you will confess it, you have forgiveness. And you can focus on what God has for you moving forward. There are consequences to our decisions. It might look differently, but you can step out in faith that you are forgiven. And then you can seek forgiveness with those people around you. And so it does not matter what you've done in your past. If you confess it, you'll find forgiveness and then you can start to focus on what God has for you moving forward. Don't do it again. Honor your commitments with your, the people around you moving forward. If you're going to get married again and you're already divorced, don't marry a non-believer. And if you do get remarried, make it work. Second marriages statistically are harder than the first. And I also want to encourage you, if you're, if you're divorced right now and you're in the midst of that, that God can work through that as well right now. I was talking to Jenna and, and uh, Michael Markshot this morning, and they were getting ready to renew their vows, and they had a death in the family, and so we weren't able to do that. But uh, Michael and Jenna got divorced. God worked, a, worked in their lives, and then they both ended up getting remarried. And so they've been married again now. Where, where, where's Jenna there? How long have you guys been married, Jenna? 20? Yeah. You know, it's, praise God. I've got a good friend, uh, Willie Pellegrin, before I became a believer, Willie and I um, were both kind of in the same boat, and both of our marriages were a wreck. Um, he got divorced, I moved away, and you know, God worked it out. But Willie and Angel, um, Willie came to faith in Christ. He started dating his wife, and they got remarried. And so I can, I can there's probably four or five stories uh, that, that I personally know of um, where people, even in spite of their divorce, God has been able to bring them back together. And so if you're divorced this morning and you have not remarried and your other spouse hasn't been remarried, then you can start praying for them right now, that God would do a miracle in both of your lives, that God would work to bring you guys back together. Once somebody else gets married, you kind of have to deal with the consequences of that. But no matter where you are this morning, uh, there is forgiveness available. There's the power of God to make things right. And, uh, and God can work those marriage relationships out. And I also want to encourage you this morning, just from an application perspective, that if you're married and you're going through struggles, do not go through those alone. You know, do not go through a struggle alone. We have got 35 counselors that we have relationships with at Springbrook through four different counseling agencies. And if you are not a part of one of our small groups, you can get some couples around you that can be praying for you. We have 25 small groups at Springbrook. Many of them are going to be meeting over the summer. So if you're a guy, I want to encourage you to jump into one of our men's groups that are meeting during the summer. Uh, you can get to connected to some other men um, where you can start to focus on what God would have for you. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. You'll study God's word together. If you're a couple, we have couples groups that are meeting as well. So you can get involved in a small group where you can get um, just you know support and encouragement and prayer. Um, we've got counselors available to you, and so if you uh, are struggling uh, with your marriage, I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in a small group, try that, or let me know if you're interested in a counselor. Uh, there's a welcome slip attached um, to your bulletin. You can tear that off this morning, and uh, if you'd like me to give you a call, I'd be more than happy to call you, kind of process through with you, and help you with a counselor that can professionally kind of help you to work through your marriage relationship. You know, statistically, 50% of marriages don't make it in America. And I think the other dynamic of that is even of the 50% that are making it, there's probably less than half of those that I, I would say are happy marriages. There's a lot of people who are just kind of going through the motions. And that's not God's best for you. Jesus came so we could have life and have it to the full. And so we want to help you be able to experience life to the full. So please, if you're struggling in that area, you know, let us know how we can help you with that. 
You know, we're praying as we're going into the fall. We've got many different types of small groups. And so if you're interested, if you've come through a divorce and you're interested in maybe helping us with a marriage or a divorce recovery small group, that's something that we'll be praying about as we move into the fall. But I just want to encourage you this morning um, to take Malachi's words to heart, to think about the covenant relationships uh, that you have with the people around you, both in this body of Christ um, and then with your family, uh, with your neighbors. And um, I just pray that you were encouraged um, by our time together this morning. I know these passages are a challenge. I know they can be difficult. Um, but I find that when we are focused on who we are in Christ and we're focused on His Word, that God is ever faithful and unchanging. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm glad you were here this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. And I just thank you for the covenant relationship that we have with you through Christ. And I'm God, just uh, I'm grateful for your call in our life. And I just am grateful for the opportunity we have to come together this morning um, to praise you. I pray that your word would transform our lives, transform our hearts from the inside out. And um, God, I just, I know that there are many people here this morning that are in crisis, they're in pain with their relationships. God, I just pray that your spirit um, would pour itself out, that they might be encouraged today. And God, we know that you are, um, you're the king, you're the master of relationships, and we know that nothing is impossible with you. So God, we just want to turn our lives over to you. I look forward to all that you have for us. I look forward to what you have for us together as the body of Christ. Help us to be able to engage our culture around us. God, I pray that you strengthen the marriages and the families at Springbrook. Um, God, all for your glory. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.